Hey friends, we understand that trying to lead a church through the raging waves of cultural upheaval is difficult. As a church leader, you want to encourage and support your congregation through these trying times, but not everyone processes events the same. This makes it challenging to discern what to preach or not preach in uncertain times. That's why Northern Seminary presents Staying Power Through Courageous Preaching with President Dr. William Scheel, Dr. Beth Felker-Jones, Dr. Marshall Hatch, and Reverend Tracy Bianchi. You deserve the confidence to invite your church to live out God's story today. Northern wants to help you find this confidence in your preaching and beyond. Join us on March 24th at 7 p.m. Central Time for this live online event. Register today at the link in the description. Welcome to the Alabaster Jar, a weekly conversation where we take on current issues impacting women at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry. We are pleased to offer Alabaster Jar as a podcast of Northern Seminary. On today's episode, our host, Dr. Lynn Kohick, talks once again with Reverend Tracy Bianchi and me, Serene Musselman, for part two of our series, which we have dubbed False Eyelashes and Spandex. In today's conversation, we take on clothing, body image, and their implications for women in ministry, academia, and beyond. Well, Tracy, we're doing part two of our podcast that's, that, uh, was going to be talking about clothing. Uh, last podcast, we talked about fake eyelashes. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's what uh, New Testament people get into and uh, <laughs> church ministers. But you know what? It's part of our real world. And maybe not all of us with false eyelashes. But it raised the question of makeup and and how women are... Uh, they're often evaluated, I guess, by how they look. And some of that is makeup and hairstyles, but a lot of it is clothing. And I, I know you have a lot of stories. I mean, you went out and kind of uh, collected some stories of women who have had just amazing, sometimes funny, sometimes really sad experiences. So we want to spend a little bit of time just acknowledging this reality and then maybe offering some possible ways forward uh, in, in, in the midst of, you know, our reality that clothing often really defines us. Yeah, I, I thank you for having this conversation. I, I have found over time, this is an ongoing conversation for so many people in ministry, particularly women, but definitely men too. They are part of this uh, conversation. I mean, honestly, what we're wearing has even become um, more of a topic of conversation now that since the pandemic, we're all video preachers, you know, like overnight. And, and I mean, Facebook Live is video preaching. You know, you could be on Facebook Live to 10 people at a Bible study and suddenly where the sun is shining in and what the, what the angle of light is and what the pattern is on your shirt that's crazy on the screen. So what we wear, um, I think, for women has always been kind of a conversation. And, um, but our guy friends, I mean, this is part of their reality too, right now. Uh, we've become televangelists <laughs> overnight. And, um, but interestingly for a lot of us as women, because when we do serve in pastoral roles, a lot of us, even when we're at churches that are equipping and encouraging and have women on staff, there are not that many of us, or some of us are finding ourselves maybe uh, the first one 
that's in a sort of role that we're in. And so there's not this sort of history of, of conversation around this that we can lean on. So we've got to have opportunities like this, right, to do it. And, um, and additionally, so many of the places we're in were built around guys. And so sometimes, I, like, so for example, for the church that I preached in for a long time, the pulpit is elevated. <laughs> and that's I cool know. if you're wearing pants. But the yeah. first time I preached in a skirt, that was a problem. <laughs> oh, yeah. And well, so, yeah. And yeah. actually, I thought you were going to say it's, I mean, as a, a person who's vertically challenged, if the standard is 510, then yeah. And you get that you're, you're right. Also, when you have chairs up on the stage, and you're wearing a skirt, I think, oh, my, oh, my gosh, that's just how, how can I contort my body in such a way that I retain my, my sense of self and modesty? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and yeah, the, the, the everything built for the 510. When I first preached, uh, so our, our, our congregation has two different expressions of worship. We have a contemporary expression. We have a, a classic expression where we wear um, robes and we wear vestments. And um, it was my first sermon. So I didn't have my own robe yet that was custom for my body. So I had to wear the robe of the shortest guy on the preaching team. I'm 5'6". And the shortest guy on the team is 5'10". And so it was four inches too long and I'm um, a pretty practical person and I move a lot and I'm, I'm talking to people. So I'm not one that wears real high heels, but I had to wear these real high heels. So this robe didn't drag on the ground <laughs> and I tripped. And I mean, it was just it's stuff like this happens. And, you know, nobody invites women to preach expecting us to wear stilettos and a robe. But after the invitation is offered, that's sort of what happens <laughs> behind the scenes. I don't know, Lynn, in academia, kind of what you face with with attire or um, how it goes for you guys. No, I, I think just in general, uh, in academia, men can wear much more cla uh, casual clothes, even jeans to teach. And I would never imagine doing that myself because I just don't have, I, authority is not automatically given to me uh, have to, or any woman. So you kind of have to earn it. So I know I always dress a little more formally uh, just because I think that lends a, yeah, a uh, credibility. Isn't it interesting? This is Serene here. I'm just going to jump in. How from one of us to the next, the challenges that we face can be so different, but we wouldn't know unless we have these conversations. Like for me, I'm also vertical, vertically challenged, but in the sense that the air is thin up here. I'm on the <laughs> taller side. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and um, for me, the inner dialogue that I've battled when I have... Uh, you know, preached or spoken from a stage is sort of that uh, perspective of as women, we're almost conditioned to take up less space and to appear smaller and um, more maybe meek or whatever, you know, is going on there. And so as a taller woman, I find myself, um, you know, hunching over, kind of making my body smaller, being less likely to wear heels on stage, anything like that. And, and honestly, I have a couple of people more recently who have been coaching me and encouraging me that it's okay to take up space. But it, you wouldn't think that that is something you would have to think about. But we are so ever 
aware of our bodies and what's happening, whether it's um, has to do with height or other things. Uh, but what I'm experiencing is different from from Lynn, which is different from Tracy. And that's why I love that we're having this conversation. Yeah, I, it, indeed. It's so important. There's so many different bodies that we all have and so many different places where we serve. And, um, you know, I think, Serene, your um, your note about taking up space, I think, like you said, it, it feels particularly acute for you just because of your height. But, you know, because I think of some of the residue and baggage of the purity culture that so many of us as women carry into our spaces is we're we have this like dialogue that runs or this narrative, this tape that kind of runs behind us is, you know, do I look okay? Am I, I don't want to come across, you know, provocative, which of course we don't, but like we're, we're, I think we're paranoid or afraid that we do. We almost want to like wrap ourselves, you know, in, in ski goggles and blankets because we're afraid to leave the house because we don't want to somehow give this wrong impression. And I think that's this residue that's been pressed into us by, you know, the purity culture that just is so focused on, um, the elements of women's bodies and women as temptresses and things like that, that we can sort of shrink back or show up places different than we, than who we are, because we're just afraid of what our body might do when we get there because of mm-hmm. some of this baggage. So I don't know if either of you have experienced that before, but it's very real. Definitely. And honestly, I think that goes beyond the the clothes that we wear, or even in the, our last episode, the makeup that we choose to wear or not to wear. Um, because when we uh, get to that place where our bodies are sort of treated or looked at as like objects, then it really doesn't matter what I put on my body, if that's the starting point of however we're, you know, relationally connecting with someone. Because for those of us that are uh, more curvy in our bodies, it really doesn't matter how we dress because that is, can be so sexualized. Um, Or I've heard women who preach that when they've been pregnant, you know, it's, they're thinking, well, what, how do I dress so that my body doesn't make someone feel uncomfortable? And it just really gets to that like deeper point of, Certainly, it's about our clothes, but there's even a, a deeper issue here and how we view our bodies and others' bodies. Yeah, the, the pregnant thing is interesting. I I preached, uh, I was finishing seminary and I was seven months pregnant. And I preached what I thought was a good sermon. And maybe I was wrong. I don't know. But nobody said a word about the theology, the passage, the message. It was just this, oh, honey, look at you pregnant. And I was like, no, 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 no. I preached. <laughs> I preached. It shouldn't matter that I'm pregnant. People have been having babies for, you know, centuries. But, you know, the only thing people could comment on was what was happening to my body, which was very real, right? We've talked about not wanting to have these sort of disembodied experiences. But at the same time, I was like, can we talk about something other than the shape of my body right now? (laughs) Well, and yeah. And when you, you know, just as you're telling that story, you came away from that preaching experience, very different than your male peers who were graduating from seminary, because they would have gotten feedback about their sermon, right? You didn't get feedback. So you come away thinking, "I, I really don't know how I did. All I know is that people realized I was pregnant. And, and so what does that do that certainly doesn't increase your confidence, right? And so the more that, that people focus on and say it out loud, what 
what a woman is wearing, whether that looks nice or not. And I know, Tracy, you've got some examples to share from people, some stories that they've had. But the the more, to, at least as I experience it, the more that the focus is on how you look, the more unsure I can become about whether what I've said is helpful or not. So I think that it, um, what someone might, where someone might think they're making a compliment, um, it actually serves to kind of undermine confidence. It does. Well, and then I didn't get to improve as a communicator because I didn't get the feedback that my male peers did. So I have to, I have a slower process, you know, and uh, Rosemary, um, Flatten, who's a student, uh, we, I, I threw this on Facebook. If anybody listening wants to jump in and engage with this, it actually showed up in two different Facebook pace, places, but um, the Center for Women in Leadership on Facebook um, is, is a great way to go join this conversation. But Rosemary Flatten wrote on there um, that she said, it, she's always stunned. She said, it always bothers me. I get just as many comments about my outfit as the content of my message. Just people feel compelled to ask or comment on whether or not I've put on or lost weight. Um, and so she just said she was so grateful for this conversation that, um, you know, here she is preaching, but also someone's commenting that she looks like she lost a few pounds. And why should that matter? Why is that part of this conversation? But that was something she struggled with. Um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of talk, too, about vestments and about how those can be challenging because they're not always cut or fit for women. However. Um, and Laura, Laura Montero said this, it also gets you out of this conundrum in some ways. When everybody's wearing the big, you know, robe, there's no conversation on whether he or she should wear or not wear what they're wearing because, and I think that's why, you know, traditional, um, you know, classical worship services have robes is it takes the focus off of that in some ways. Um, so that that's a that's a comment. You know, a couple other things that people have said too, um, along the lines of kind of clothing isn't so much the challenge of people commenting on their clothing, but figuring out exactly what to wear to pull off the task at hand. Um, Tamara Krantz wrote um, that uh, she had to preach once with a battery pack that had a broken clip. And she was wearing a skirt. So a guy could have put the battery pack in his pockets. And women, guys might not know this, even if you're wearing pants and you're female, that doesn't mean you have pockets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> not all of our pants have pockets. But she happened to be wearing a skirt and she had no pockets. And they tried to duct tape it and it got all messy. So she ended up putting it in, she said, the right hip of her pantyhose. And she said, as she was preaching, she could feel it sliding down her oh my word. <laughs> her leg. And she said, um, she said she ended up rushing her sermon at the end. And we and everybody who commented on Facebook gave us, you know, their permission to share these stories. But she said she ended up commenting or, or rushing at the end to get off the platform before it shot out of her skirt at her knee. <laughs> <laughs> Which is oh. funny, but on the on the same end, I thought, well, what if she had a really brilliant, beautiful end to her sermon? But because we don't always think through the logistics of these things in ways that help women, maybe something was missed there. I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll tell another story that I, happened to somebody else on this Facebook um, thread, but also happened to me once too. Um, I had officiated 
I'd officiated several funerals, always had worn whatever footwear um, I wanted to, um, usually wore a heel because of the robe sometimes that we wear when we do funerals. And I really want to, I want to do honor, you know, to the, to the occasion. So I would, I would wear a, a suit, suit pants. Um, it didn't occur to me though, and nobody had mentioned this to me because most of my colleagues were guys. When you go with a family after a, a church service and go to the graveside, especially if it's spring and it's just rained, your high heels get stuck in the grass. And so here I am entering, trying to enter this solemn and praise the Lord. This was a, a good saint who had lived a 90 some year life and was ready to go home with the Lord. And this was a celebration of his life. And the, the family I was with had great grace. I just ended up taking my shoes off and walked barefoot through a cemetery and got my feet all muddy because I couldn't walk in the grass in to do the graveside, to do the internment. And so these are things they don't tell you in seminary. <laughs> so I don't know, Serene or Lynn, if you guys have any other stories from your, your life and, and leadership about attire, but feel free to jump in if you've got anything else. I, uh, I think back to particularly one Sunday when it ha- was snowing at my church and it was all hands on deck to go shovel to keep the, like the, you know, sidewalks clear and the, um, make the parking lot accessible. And I was also doing like communion and announcements for that weekend. And it was just, you know, on one hand, I'm outside in the snow, sweating with icicles forming off of my hair. And I am light skin, freckles. I turn red really quick at the slightest exertion. So I'm like tomato face shoveling the sidewalks. And by the time I made it on stage, it did not, I did not look like your picture of a woman who is like prepared with great makeup and hair and well put together. I was wet and red faced and cold and just getting onto stage to present. And I mean, that's the reality of ministry sometimes for men and women. But I think particularly as a woman, when there's a certain picture in our head of what a woman should look like to go on stage and to present and look put together. But then the reality of ministry was I was just out in the parking lot shoveling snow. So that just wasn't going going to happen. And uh, so I just I say that to point out that sometimes our expectations of how a woman should present herself through her clothing and hair and makeup don't always add up to the realities of what it means to actually do ministry and serve people and and serve in the church. Um, and it can be hard for all of us to juggle both of those, even if it's uh, the time that it takes to prepare ourselves. We talked about this a bit in the last episode, the, um, the amount of time that it takes to put on makeup and to get ready, uh, like Tracy said, so someone doesn't think that we're sick, <laughs> um, can actually take away from the time that, you know, maybe we would have spent doing a little extra uh, research or run-throughs of our message or things like that. And this is all just uh, all the things that go into, I guess, being in ministry or in a position of leadership as a woman. It doesn't necessarily just apply to pastors. For women listening in general who are leading in any kind of role, uh, this is just part of our day-to-day reality. Yeah. <laughs> what we wear when we show up is sometimes the wrong thing too. And this is something I've had to learn because now we're on camera everywhere. So if a guy's wearing a shirt that might be a little see-through, 
uh, well, you know, okay, well, maybe you can maybe see a little bit of its flesh tone underneath. If we show up with the wrong color shirt and we're on, I mean, you have to, you have to go change. You know, I, I've actually swapped shirts with my female colleagues who were not on the platform that morning because the way the cameras and the lights hit, like you could see, you know, my bra through my shirt and, you know, I don't know if we need to cut that out because I said bra on the podcast, but that's reality. <laughs> we'll right? have our sensors go beep. We had one more, one more angle of this that I thought was interesting. And then, um, then Lynn, I, I want to ask you a quick question too, but there's a lot of women who work with um, adolescents and teenagers. And it, it, there was a comment from um, a, a post on our Facebook uh, page from uh, Katie Langley, who was talking about how she works with kids. And um, it kind of triggered this conversation about how sometimes it kind of does matter when you show up. And yes, we want to model for our teenagers that the brands that you wear don't matter to the Lord and all this other kind of stuff. But you also kind of got to look the part sometimes when you show up. So an adolescent looks at you and thinks, oh, I, I could connect to him or her. But she was she was telling a story about how she'd gone to the mall to buy a shirt. She's bought a shirt because um, it looked good to her. And then she went to youth camp and apparently the shirt she had was just some big trend or something. And all the all the teenagers just thought she was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> she had just randomly bought this shirt at the mall. But um, but yeah, I just talked about um, a little bit of that and that awareness, I guess, as well. But um, Lynn, I, this question for you, you know, um, we were talking a little bit offline on this. You know, this is a conversation about our bodies. And there's this sort of, you know, this reality of a, of a disembodied faith that we can sometimes enter into where, you know, none of it matters, you know, and it's just this sort of ethereal aesthetic, you know, formative space where our bodies are not part of it, you know, and then we have this conversation about how we live in bodies. And I don't know if you wanted to speak to that reality a little bit and, and how that shows up in scripture or just in, in your own work and research. Yeah, no, I think there there is that tendency, right, to swing either to uh, a place where I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm not really connected with my body in some way. I'm disconnected from a physical uh, my my physical self, and then you can swing the uh, the other way, and it becomes all about your body, which ends up sometimes objectifying others because you impose that on others, right? And so you objectify them. How do we have like an integrated whole where our heart and our body, I meaning our emotions and our body and our, our mind and our faith, uh, you know, come together. And I think um, the, it's interesting to me that the, the New Testament seems to spend a lot of time on how we think about our, our public persona as it relates to social status and wealth, and especially how within the Christian community, we treat each other so that each person feels totally valued. And I, and I feel like that, if, if we try to lay down that grid as we think about how am I, what am I choosing to wear today and uh, what context will I be in to kind of ask, okay, uh, uh, am I choosing clothing that will, will form community with people rather than raise me up higher? So like uh, Katie choosing 
that shirt that ended up being a super popular style, but she chose it because she thought this is really lovely. I, I like this, you know, and it ends up that, that, that created a community because she's right. I mean, you know, kids in junior high and high school, uh, form community around things like clothes, uh, and stuff. So that, that ended up really great. But if she had instead decided to buy designer items to try and, in, in a sense, manipulate the kids to, to get them to like her or in some, you know, act in an inauthentic way. I mean, scripture speaks strongly against that. And, and scripture speaks really strongly against, uh, using wealth to put other people down over and over again, that happens. And so, and in that culture, you know, uh, Proclaiming your wealth by wearing jewels for women, wearing jewels and uh, having elaborate hairstyles. Sometimes they would make gold hair nets that to put in your hair. I mean, just a lot of fancy things like that. That was a way for you to project your high social status. Um, and I don't think we have a one-to-one -one correspondence in our American culture right now, but I think there are times when um, we do use the clothes that we wear to kind of project a, um, a sense that, you know, we have, we have enough disposable income that we're going to spend a whole lot of money on a pair of sneakers kind of thing. And um, yeah, that, I just don't see space in scripture for that kind of focus. Uh, but it's, it never, I don't see a place in scripture where it says you should, um, you know, dress to look like a blob you know, <laughs> or completely out of fashion or because that can draw as much attention as anything. In fact, Jesus makes it clear, don't don't look like you're fasting to draw attention to yourself. Right. Um, because your father knows what's done in secret. So it uh, when we're talking about the clothing that um, so much of it is having an authentic heart before God and wanting to be in community with others, thinking about others um, as, as so important um, that you want to affirm them. I think those are the kind of things to keep, you know, kind of keep in mind um, with, with all of that. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. There's a, um, there's a, Lynn, I know how much you love social media and Instagram. So oh, you might so not much, know this. So much. Yeah. What is there's that a, again? I don't know. <laughs> there, there's a, uh, there's a, there's an Instagram page called preachers with sneakers and it's just mocking. It's mocking the ridiculousness of communicators who try to show up with, um, too much. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. Um, See, look at that. I, I was already ahead of my time with you were ahead of yourself. Realizing. Well, and I know, we, I know we're getting close <laughs> to the end of our time, but one other quick thing I wanted to mention, um, Elizabeth, um, Cronland brought this up. Um, she is um, an Asian American communicator. And she just brought up how important it was for her to represent her culture and her tradition in what she wore and how she tried for a while to sort of, um, you know, subdue that part of her or skip that part of her and now fully embraces it. Um, and maybe that's a part three we need to do someday. But um, that's another piece of this conversation is is you know you know preachers in the African American church look a lot different than they do in white Protestant churches. So you know that's a great conversation to have too. So anyway, um, lots there. But um, anything you guys 
girls want to add um, before we close our time out? I just love that, Lynn, you use the word authentic, because really, at the end of the day, that's what stuck out to me in this conversation about makeup and clothing and hair, is that we're never going to please every single person. Um, and it comes back to the posture of our heart, which Tracy has talked about as well. And But we also can't discount that there there is something important here. We are created as embodied human beings, as image bearers. There's value in our body. And even the clothes that we wear are communicating something, like those stories that Tracy shared, whether it's working with students, um, the brands that we're wearing, we are communicating something. I have a, a friend who's a pastor who is a woman, and she is very aware of this in the clothes that she wears because she feels that if we are um, committed to justice and honoring others, then the clothes that I wear, are they potentially contributing to the oppression of those who make them? And so she often buys secondhand clothing as a way of not contributing to that cycle. She recognizes that the clothes that she wears actually do have um, they do bear implications and they do say something about her values. And so I, I think that there's a balance here of uh, somewhere in the middle, we find that authentic place where we don't overemphasize our appearance to the point of objectifying, like Lynn said. Um, but we also realize that um, we're called to steward these bodies and, and to view one another as image bearers of Christ. And that has an implication for what we wear. Otherwise, we just get caught up in this cycle of, of trying to meet a certain standard. You know, as a young woman, maybe I'm trying to dress more maturely so that I'll be taken seriously. Or if I'm a more mature woman, maybe I'm trying to dress more youthful to stay relevant. And, um, and even like Tracy, you were talking about with our friend who posted on Facebook, who is an Asian American, we can't discount um, the all of the uh, injustices that are wrapped up in these conversations about fashion and makeup. How many years those with darker skin tones were um, trying to apply treatments or wear makeup to lighten their skin tone or those with curvy bodies or dressing to try and hide it. There's so much complexity to this conversation. Um, and somewhere at the core of it is that authenticness of being true to the sons and daughters that we are created to be. So I just think it's such an important conversation. Yeah. And that's a wonderful summary, Serene. I would love to hear from um, our listeners. Uh, Tracy, you mentioned the Facebook page for the Center for Women in Leadership. And maybe we'll try and put that, Serene, can we put that on our, wherever we I'm so yeah. tech savvy. I don't even Wherever know. Wherever we put <laughs> So there's yeah, this thing called Facebook. Yeah, there you go. All right. Yay. <laughs> yes. Uh, listeners, we will uh, link in today's uh, episode description, a link to the Center for Women in Leadership's Facebook page. And we would love to hear your uh, voices on this. So um, maybe we can reshare this question again on the page and you can interact with it on there. We'd love to hear your stories or your just insights and thoughts into this topic. Thank you. And thanks uh, so much, Tracy and Serene, for this conversation. It's been fun and uh, lighthearted at times, but it's a very serious topic and one that deserves continued attention. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having this conversation. Indeed, it's a good one.
You've been listening to another episode of the Alabaster Jar. We upload new episodes every Tuesday, so subscribe, share with your friends, and join us back here next week as we continue our conversations on issues impacting women at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry.